Okay, two weeks ago, we started in on chapter 8, the chapter on identification. Uh, we didn't meet last week, or we met, but it was prayer Sunday. Uh, so it's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, been in the chapter. We didn't, we made it maybe halfway through, maybe not quite. Uh, but a number of people were gone because of the youth retreat, and so I, I do want to review a little bit, plus people tend to forget a lot over two weeks. Uh, so I want to review a little and get us back up to speed here. Uh, the chapter that we're dealing with is that of identification. And, of course, last uh, time we we met, I... Uh, did spend a little bit of time at first talking about what identification is. And I pointed out, you know, that when Christians think of the cross, they generally think of it from the perspective that there Christ died for us. He died as our substitute. He went there bearing our guilt. He went there paying our penalty. And for uh, many Christians, that's the extent of their understanding of the cross. Uh, you know, they, and, and that's an important concept. I, uh, it's an important fact. And I don't want to minimize it in any way. It is incredibly important that Christ bore our sins and paid our penalty. It is what opened the door for us to enter into a relationship with God. But there's another aspect of the cross that is very important that is often overlooked. It's taught in Scripture over and over again, but it's often overlooked. And that is that we were identified with His death. We died with Him. As far as God is concerned, when Christ went to the cross, we went with Him. His death is our death. His Burial is our burial, and we were also raised with him, which is also part of our identification. We were died with him, we were buried with him, we were raised with him, and we now have new life in him. And that's our new man. It's our new life. It is that life that is in union with Christ. This new man that Scripture speaks of is not, as some translation put it, a new self because it is not independent. It is 100% dependent on Christ. It is His life in us. It is that life that we share with Him. This is so incredibly important to understand. And I'll, I'll say, I went through four years of Bible uh, school and never understood this. I was well into my years of ministry at FOA before I even began to understand it. 
But it's been life changing. Coming to understand it. That, you know, I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ and I, I now live with Christ. And I did point out last time, you know, this chapter is going to focus a lot on being identified with his death. But that's half of the equation. And I pointed out last time that many people stop midstream, as it were. They begin to count themselves dead to sin, but they don't go on to count themselves alive unto God. And there are many believers that day after day after day say, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. And their focus is on sin. No, we died to sin, and we are now alive unto God. And we need to learn to live on the life side of the cross. It's not about focusing over and over on being dead to sin. I recognize that my identification with Christ changed my relationship to sin. It is no longer my master. It changed my relationship. I accept that. I believe that. I reckon it to be true. But I go on to reckon it to be true that I am now alive in Christ. That I am now a child of the Most High God. That I am now a heavenly citizen. That I am now numbered among the saints. That now I can be a very channel through which the life of Christ is seen by others. And my focus in my prayers over and over again isn't, Lord, help me not to sin. It's, Lord, I want to the life of Christ to be seen in me. I am united with Him and I want Him to be seen and others to be attracted to him I guarantee you if you really come to understand and accept identification it will begin to change everything we had friends in Ireland who said it's like getting saved all over again because it's the other half of salvation that's so often uh, uh, overlooked yes the substitution gets us into heaven and a lot of people see you know their salvation as something that helps them in the future but they're still toughing it through today identification is, is very much about today it's about a new life that you and I have this very moment at our disposal to appropriate and to reap the benefits of. Have I fully reaped its benefits? No. 
I still find myself at times falling back into the old man. Hopefully nowhere near as often as in the past. But it's been a journey. And more and more, I've come to see who I am in Christ. And to accept who I am in Christ. And to define myself as God defines me. Now, again, we got a good way, uh, partially through the chapter. I am going to just run through a few slides that uh, review a few of the things we've seen. And one of them started out with a statement by Evan Hopkins. The trouble of the believer who knows Christ as his justification is not sin as to his guilt, but sin as it's to, to his ruling power. You know, if you've come to see that Christ is the one who canceled your debt, that he is the one who has given you a righteous standing in God's eyes, your problem isn't wrestling with with justification. The problem you're probably still uh, possibly still struggling with is not your guilt, but this daily struggle with sin, with his power in your life. And he goes on to say, to know God's way of deliverance from sin as a master, you have to apprehend the truth contained in the sixth chapter of Romans. And I read from Romans 6 uh, verses 1 through 14 last time. I won't do that again. I would encourage you to go, if you aren't familiar with Romans 6, to go back and read that. Maybe not this moment, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) this coming week. But he says there, there in Romans 6, we see what God has done not with our sins. He's dealt with what God did with our sins in, in the preceding chapters. That's not the focus of Romans 6. In Romans 6, the focus is what God has done with us. With ourselves, those who are the agents and the slaves of sin. And with regards to us, he has put our old man. You know, that one we were born with, that old Adamic nature. He has put our old man, our original self, where he put our sins, namely on the cross of Christ. And I've said it repeatedly as we've gone through this book. God is not trying to fix this. And yet, many Christians spend their lives praying and pleading with God to fix their old nature. And wondering why he doesn't do it. And he's, it's because he said it was not redeemable. I nailed it to the cross. Leave the nasty thing there. Quit trying to fix it. You have a brand new life in Christ. Discover it. Appropriate it. Let it be seen in you. 
acknowledge I spent many of the early years of my Christian life trying to fix this and praying about it and, and struggling with, with the sin in my life. And they weren't over sins. They were more sins in my mind, sins in my struggles in that way. And just agonizing over it. Until I came to see what God's answer is. And it lifted a huge burden. The Christian life ceased to be a burdensome life at that point. You know, we've told you before, and this is not to our credit, it's to the Lord's credit with this, that among the first we met with in Ireland was someone who said, look, would you meet with, uh, would you and Jonelle meet with us? You are the first Christians we've ever met who seem to enjoy the Christian life. That's not to our credit, it's a sad commentary. That Christians who have not come to find their new life in Christ and are trying to just crank out and trying to make the old man look like this, it's burdensome. It is heavy. And so they don't enjoy the Christian life. Because it's not really the Christian life. The Christian life is the Christian life. It's, it's Christ's life in us. If we come to experience that, there is joy in that. There is peace in that. If we're trying to make our lives look like Jesus, it's going to be a long, hard struggle. And it's going to be burdensome. You know, um, Hopkins goes on to say, The believer there, where at, uh, at the cross, sees not only Christ died for him, substitution, but that he died with Christ, identification. Andrew Murray we saw last time, right? Like Christ, the believer has, has uh, believer too has died to sin. He is one with Christ in the likeness of his death. And he says, as the knowledge that Christ died for sin is indispensable to our justification. So the knowledge that Christ and we with him in the likeness of his death are dead to sin is indispensable to our sanctification. We are never going to live lives that are set apart to God until we learn to, uh, uh, until we come to an understanding and acceptance of of uh, identification. It will change our lives. And I say that with great passion because I've seen it. I mean, it should be enough that God said it. 
But I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in numerous other lives. Those who have come to understand and appropriate this truth have been changed by it. Not in an instant, but it puts them on a journey. We're transformed what by the renewing of our minds. And one area we've got to renew our minds in is this. That we died with Christ. We're buried with Christ. And now, very, very importantly, are alive with Christ. You know, Hudson Taylor points out that these truths are not for the few. They are, he says, the birthright of every child of God and no one can dispense with them without dishonoring the Lord. He says, you know, to, to ignore these truths dishonors the Lord. Is ignoring a huge part of what he saved us to. I know last time I, I said, you know, we, in my years in Bible college, had chapels every day. I remember very little of it. A couple of statements, though during my time there, stuck with me. And one was a fellow who said, there are no spiritual giants, there are just small Christians. And I I think we'd change that a little now. There are no spiritual giants, there are some who who know who they are in Christ and there's others who don't. But to view somebody as a spiritual giant is to view them as being abnormally large. There's nobody who's, no Christian who's abnormally large. There are some who come closer to uh, reaching their potential in Christ than others. And next to them, others look small or they look like giants. It's like to a two-year-old kid, I probably look like a giant. I'm not a giant. They're just small people. (laughs) And that's what happens oftentimes in the Christian life. I mean, you you have men like Hudson Taylor. You have men like William R. Newell. uh, Lewis Berry Chafer. You know, uh, uh, Ellie Maxwell who started Pioneers. uh, uh, Pioneer, uh, not Pioneers, uh, uh, Prairie Bible Institute. Uh, You know, you have these men who we often look at uh, as spiritual giants, but those men... We have quotes from them in this chapel, I mean in this, cha- in this chapter, who, who say, look, it was this truth that was so important to them. It's what made them look like giants. But as Hudson Taylor says, these t- truths are the birthright of every child of God. They're your birthright. Now that's about where we got to last time.
We pick up there with William R. Newell. And he writes, To those who refuse or neglect to reckon themselves dead to sin as God commands, we press the question, How are you able to believe that Christ really bear the guilt of your sins and that you will not meet them at the judgment day? He says, If you refuse to count it as true that you are dead to sin as God has commanded, how can you be so certain <coughs> that Christ bore your guilt and paid your penalty? How can you be so certain you won't be judged for your sins in the future? Why? Because he said it's only God's word that tells you Christ bear your sins in his own body on the tree. And that same word tells you that as connected with uh, that you as connected with Adam died with Christ that your old man was crucified that since you are in Christ you share in his death unto sin and thus to reckon your present relationship to sin in Christ as one who is dead to it and alive unto God Valid point. If you're willing to believe God when he says Christ died for your sins, why aren't you willing to believe him when he said you died with him? And that you were raised with him. And that you're alive with him. It is the same word that tells you that. It's there. I guarantee you that once you begin to even... Start to understand this. You will, as you read through the New Testament epistles, you will see it over and over again. It will be there. When I was teaching through this at our church up in Wisconsin, had a woman, she and her husband had served on the mission field for years and years and years. And she came up to me and she said, for the first time in my life, there are verses that make sense to me. She said, I've known them, I've quoted them, but they've never made sense. I've been crucified with Christ. You know, we quote that. But do we really grasp what it's saying? You know, reckon ye therefore yourselves dead unto sin and alive unto God. We, we read that verse. Do we really understand and believe it? It will change everything. Lewis Sperry Chafer, one of the founders of Dallas Theological, says the theme under consideration is concerned with the death of Christ as that death relates to the divine judgments of the sin nature in the child of God. The necessity for such judgments and the sublime uh, revelation that these judgments are now fully accomplished for us is enfolded in Romans 6, 1 through 10. 
This, and this statement is important, I didn't put it on a slide, but I think it's significant. This passage is the foundation as the well, as well as the key to uh, the possibility of a walk in the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, if we really do not understand our identification in Christ, we aren't going to be able to walk in the Spirit. Why? Because the walking in the Spirit has to do with Him guiding and working through our new life in Christ. And if all we're trying to do is fix this old life, we aren't going to walk in the Spirit. He might be convicting and convicting and convicting and convicting, but we aren't really, this old life is not going to be led by the Spirit. Ruth Paxson. Again, I pointed out last time, a lot of these names may not be familiar to all of us. Um, uh, Of course, um, Stanford wrote this, I guess, earlier in the 20th century, and a lot of these that he quotes were writers and speakers in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, they would be names familiar to probably Jerry, to myself, maybe to Ron and some of the uh, older ones, but may not be quite as familiar to some of the younger ones. Uh, They're worth finding some of their works and reading them. Uh, They definitely were men and women who had a real understanding of the Lord and His provision. But Ruth Paxson writes, The old I in you and me was judicially crucified with Christ. Our old man was nailed to the cross. Ye died and your death dates from the death of Christ. The old man, the old self, in God's reckoning was taken to the cross with Christ crucified and taken into the tomb where Christ, with Christ and buried. Assurance of deliverance from the sphere of the flesh and the and of the dethronement of the old man rests upon the apprehension and acceptance of this fact of co-crucifixion. If you don't want the old man to be ruling your life, you've got to come to understand and accept this truth. You know... Christians, you know, talk about being born again. But they don't grasp, oftentimes, that with their birth certificate came a death certificate. And that's why there's a a real tension in their lives. When we lived in Ireland, Ireland was a country where you could have dual citizenship. And dual citizenship works relatively okay as long as the two countries you hold citizenship in get along. But think about back like during World War II, somebody having a British citizenship and a German citizenship. Holding citizenship in two countries at war. 
Don't you think there would be a tension? And because a lot of believers do not understand that they died with Christ, there is this idea that, well, I've been born again, I've been born into God's family, but they still see themselves as part of the old world. And there is this struggle within. They see themselves, in a sense, as citizens of two realms. And the two realms are at war. This world is hostile towards God. The old man is hostile towards God. And so, that's why with our new birth came a death certificate. That we died to the world. That we died to sin. That we died to the realm of Satan. And have been made alive to a whole new realm. You've really got to come to grasp that you have that death certificate. It's the only thing that will begin to set you free from that tension of feeling like you're part of two realms. I like what Watchman Nee has to say. Our sins were dealt with by the blood. We ourselves are dealt with by the cross. The blood procures our pardon. It deals with the guilt. The cross procures deliverance from what we are in Adam. It's the cross that deals with the old man. He says, the blood can wash away my sins, but it cannot wash away my old man. I need the cross to crucify me, the sinner. Me, the sinner, is, is there at the cross. I've said this countless times in this class. I will say it again. Christians, time and again, indicate that they don't understand this because whenever they stand up to give their testimony, they say, I am just a sinner. They're defining themselves on the basis of what was nailed to the cross. I have a sin nature, yes. And I can still sin. But I'm not a sinner. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm a saint that still struggles with sin. But the sinner was crucified. And, you know, I've pointed out, you can think, well, yeah, but in Scripture, over and over again, it says, I'm a a sinner. I said, I sat down and I did a word study from Romans 1 through Jude. The word sinner appears six times. Three of them 
clearly in regards to unbelievers. Three of them a little more neutral. You can take it one way or the other. But in those same passages, over and over again, we were, God used names that talk about who we are in Christ. Sons, heirs, uh, children, His temple. All these terms. And yet we still define ourselves by what came to the cross. We don't often define ourselves by what left the empty tomb with Christ. You know, in a few weeks' time, we'll have Easter. And all around the world, believers will sing, Up from the grave He arose. And that's true. But we could also sing, Up from the grave we arose. We arose with Him. Because the life that came out of that tomb is ours. He's shared it with you. He shared it with me. It's our life. We need to come to see that and live in that realm. Ellie Maxwell, fellow who helped found Prairie Bible College and a number of other Christian schools, Writes, believers in Christ were joined with him at the cross, united with him in death and resurrection. We died with Christ, he died for us, and we died with him. He says, this is a great fact, true of all believers. It's true whether you count it as true or not. Norman B. Harris writes, All right, where? Hmm. I got something out of order here. I went the wrong way. Oh. But, uh, he writes, Believers in Christ were joined with him at the cross, united. Uh, to him in death and resurrection. We died with Christ. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I already did all this. Okay. Here. Uh, Norman B. Harris. This is the distinctive mark of the Christian. The experience of the cross. <clears throat> Not merely that Christ died for us, but that we died with him. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. He says, this is the distinctive mark of the Christian. This is what's going to set the Christian apart from the world. It's the very life of Christ being formed in us. I also appreciate what Hugel says. He was a World War I chaplain. He was a missionary for many, many years in Mexico. He says, if the great Luther, and he acknowledges that Luther was quite a, you know, a significant figure in, in Christendom. 
but he says, if the great Luther with his stirring message of justification by faith had with Paul moved from Romans to Romans 6 with his amazing declarations concerning uh, the now justified sinner's position of identification with his crucified Lord, would not a stifled Protestantism be on a higher ground today? Might it not be free from its uh, ulcerous fleshliness? And I think Cuba makes a good point. Again, Luther brought us a long ways. He saw that we're justified by faith. That justification is a gracious gift of God. And I think of, you know, where Luther came from and that he saw this. But he stopped, as it were, at Romans 5. Because when it came to the Christian life, he still fell back into a work system. And that's my, uh, my problem with a lot of Reformed theology. They keep going back to the Reformers who understood justification by grace through faith, but did not move forward. And, and so you keep going back to the Reformers and you keep getting held back at that point rather than coming forward and seeing that Romans 6, 7, and 8 follow Romans 5. And that they're important. Alexander Hay, an older author, writes... The believer has been united with Christ in his death. In this union with Christ, the flesh, the body of sin, the entire fallen, sin-ruined being with his intelligence, will, and desires is judged and crucified. By faith, the believer reckons, counts himself dead unto sin. Reckon means to count it as true. And God would never ask us to count as true something that's false. If God says, count it as true that you have died to sin and are alive unto God, that's true. T. Austin Sparks Our uh, daughter, uh, well, I'm jumping, no, I jumped over to T. Austin Sparks. I don't have anything marked here, but let me read his, and then I'll get to this other statement. T. Austin Sparks, I know our Emily has said he's become one of her favorite writers, uh, one of our dear friends in Ireland, when they were stopped in Ireland coming back on furlough last time, got her into reading T. Austin Sparks, and she just said she really has been blessed by a lot of his, his writings. But he writes, the first phase of our spiritual experience may be a great and overflowing joy with marvelous sense of emancipation. In this phase, extravagant things are often said as to total deliverance and final victory. And we've seen that in testimonies of new believers. 
Oh man, there's this exuberance and it's as if they've arrived. They've been delivered. They've had full victory. (laughs) He said, then there may and often does come a phase of which inward conflict is the chief feature. It may be very much a Romans 7 experience. And I'll remind you that in Romans 7, Paul says, The good I want to do, I'm unable to do. The evil I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So he says, you know, you have this new birth, you have all this exuberance, but then you enter into this phase of struggle. At Romans 7, it says, This will lead under the Lord's hand to the fuller knowledge of the meaning of identification with Christ, as in Romans 6. Happy the man who has been instructed in this from the beginning You know, this is something I we tried to be sure and make our students aware of there at, at the Bible Institute. That look, you're going to have these times of struggle. Don't be surprised. And realize that God is going to be using them to bring you to that place of really beginning to understand and, 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 and appropriate your new life in Christ. He says it's great if new believers would be told in advance <laughs> what they're going to have, what they're going to face. So that it doesn't catch them off guard. Doesn't throw them a curveball. And Jesse Penn Lewis writes, and that's one I have up here. If the difference between Christ dying for us and our dying with him has not been recognized, acknowledged, and applied, it may safely be affirmed that the, that the self is still the do, dominating factor in the life. <laughs> Reflect on that one for a moment. So really, if you have not come to grasp the difference between Christ dying for you and you dying with Him, if you haven't recognized and, and ex- acknowledged and, and really begun to appropriate and apply that truth to your life, he said, you can rest pretty much assured that the old life is what's in control. William Culbertson, who died on the cross? Of course, our... Our, uh, and, and I'll say Culbertson was one of the early uh, presidents of Moody. Uh, who died on the cross? Of course, our blessed Lord died on the cross, but who else died there? Knowing this, that our old man was crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, or have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. 
It's like I said earlier, on Easter morning, we, we could just as well sing, Up from the grave we arose. We died with Him, we rose with Him. Easter is really our birthday. We might view Christmas as Christ's birthday, but Easter's ours. That's when our new life began. Then, Reginald Wallace. God says, in effect, My child, as you reckon on the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, now go a step further and reckon on the representative work for your victory day by day. You believe the Lord Jesus died for your sins. Why? Because God said so. Now take the next step. Accept by faith the further fact that you died with him, that your old man has been crucified with him. These men and women are making the same point over and over again. And I think that's important because this is not one man's view. This is truth that has been set forth by many men and women who in the eyes of many were spiritual giants, but weren't. They were just men and women who came to believe God. That they died with Christ and were raised with Christ and have a new life in Christ. And what made them look like giants was the life of Christ in them. And that same life is available to you just like it's available to me. And if you will come to that place of just really letting go of your old man, quit trying to fix him, say, God, you nailed that nasty thing to the cross. I want to experience fully who I am in Christ. I believe I died with him. I believe I was buried with him. I believe I was raised with him. I want that life to be seen in me. It won't happen instantly, but God will honor that prayer and your life will begin to manifest forth him then one final one we have James McConkie because he died death uh, because he died death hath no more dominion over him and because of our union with him sin shall not have dominion over you even though it is present in you it's present in us, but it doesn't have to control us. He says, Our reckoning ourselves dead to sin in Jesus Christ does not make it a fact. It is already a fact. Whether you believe it or not, it's true of you. It is already a fact through our union with Him. He says, Our reckoning it to be true only makes it begin to realize the fact in experience. He says when we begin to count it as true, it will begin to filter into our daily experience. And that new life of Christ will increasingly be seen. Now, say again, 
you will never get there by focusing on your sin. You'll only get there by focusing on your Savior and your source of life. Many Christians do not move forward because they're so focused on stopping sinning rather than focusing on Christ as their life. As you move towards Him, you will leave that behind. Make Him your focus. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. All about Christ. May He become your primary focus in the days ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You now for this time. We thank You for this precious truth. Lord, I pray that each one in this uh, room might come to see Christ as their source of everything. And that they might come to see that they share in his death, they share in his burial, they share in his resurrection, and therefore they share in his new life. May their focus be on him. And as they focus on him, may they learn to experience the freedom that is there in him. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.